If you are our guest, our visitor, or maybe you have just slept since last week, uh, we are in our Advent journey. That's what the candle and the wreaths are all about. And uh, Advent is a time of longing, of waiting, of sitting still, uh, even times in the dark, um, hoping that God will break in on us. And so if you're journeying with us, the first week uh, and the theme that we had for, um, for the first week of Advent uh, was hope. So the broader theme is come behold the wondrous mystery. And that'll get unpacked a little bit more on Christmas Eve, that Friday evening gathering. But we've had hope, right? And so we're, we're longing for God to do something differently. And, and that, that comes with a posture that we are hoping uh, in Jesus himself to come. And then last week was this theme of peace. Um, that God has come to give us peace because he himself is our peace. And then now in the third week of Advent, we are uh, embarking upon this journey of joy. I think joy is a little bit mysterious as much as peace is because there is something right up next to joy that if we're not careful, we'll settle for that instead of actually pushing further into the deeper currents that joy has to offer. And what is that extra thing or that, that parallel uh, emotion even? And that is happiness. Um, I don't know if you have ever been asked to look for something that you've never seen before, um, but it's, a, it's an interesting experience. I actually this week was trying to, to remember a time when I was asked to look for something that I've never seen and I couldn't remember one time, but I know it's happened, happened multiple times. And the reason why I can't remember it is because this is what happens when you try, when you're asked to look for something you've never seen. Like if you say, hey, help me find my keys, we all know what we're looking for. But if you, hear, if you ask somebody to help you find, I don't know, a person, there needs to be a picture associated with that. And if you don't have that picture, it's going to become really, really difficult to find that person. And I think looking for joy is a little bit like looking for someone you've never seen before. Like you know it's a thing, you know they're real, but it's really difficult to figure out. And, and I don't know about you, but when you get asked to look for someone or something that you um, have never seen, um, you really do your best, but you have no idea really what it is that you're trying to find. And I really do believe that's a little bit like joy, especially when we start thinking about um, its comparison to happiness. So what is joy not? Joy is not happiness. Happiness is rooted in external circumstances that are preferential to you. That's what happiness is. It's rooted in ex something external, and those are circumstances that you like. That's generally happy. And I don't know about you, but when you're around happy people, um, I get a little nervous. I don't know if that's just me. Maybe I'm just a little cynical. But when I get around really happy people um, that, that are trying to really make it look good on the outside, I get a little bit nervous. Um, but joy is something different. When you get around a joyful person, there's something calming about that. And the reason is, is because joy, unlike happiness, is an internal calmness. It's internal. It's not based on external circumstances. It's an internal calmness rooted in what? In the assurance of God's character and plan. That's joy. You ever been around a joyful person? Some of the most joyful people I've ever met have gone through some of the most heinous circumstances that you and I have built our lives to not experience. I start with my friend Bikram in India. I mean, Bik has gone around in India literally picking up children out of the street. 
that were attempted to be killed by radical Hindus. He has gone into forests and tried to convince people to come out of the forest, to come and live in their little 500 square foot house. And, 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 and that's, a, that's the most, one of the most joyful people I've ever met in my life. Another one, before I met Beek, the, this couple named Rosie and Enrique, they lived literally steps from the Gulf Coast. And, and Rosie and Enrique had two sons. And, and, and what did Enrique do to provide for his family, except he was a fisherman right there on the Gulf, like literally could throw a rock from their front door into the Gulf of Mexico, in Mexico, in the heart of Mexico. And you might think, okay, well, that's interesting. Why were they so joyful? Enrique could not swim, and yet he was a fisherman. He didn't have a big boat. He had a little dinghy that he used. Matter of fact, he didn't even have a fishing pole. You know what his fishing pole was? It was a one-by-four. And that was his means to provide for his family each and every day. And they were in the midst of a, of a cartel, drug-infested part of Mexico. And I have never seen people smile as big as them. Why? What could create this undercurrent of, of a calm assurance of God's posture? of God's promises, of God's provision for his people? What is it that, that, that just truly helped those people become so joyful that it was contagious? One of the best meals I've ever had in my life was on their patio. And we ate a feast of fish tacos that Enrique had, uh, had caught earlier that morning with his one by four and fishing line. I mean, I must have, I literally think I had 14 or 15 fish tacos that night. And they were delicious. It was a feast. What was it that, that just kept us laughing that was so contagious? It was, of course, this undercurrent of joy. You see, the difference here is that happiness cannot stand the test of suffering. Happiness cannot stand the test of discomfort. It flees from us whenever a, 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 a circumstance hits us that is not preferential to us, but joy thrives in suffering. It can thrive there. You see, suffering and joy go hand in hand, but happiness runs from suffering. Even Jesus, and we know this, because of this promise of joy here in the announcement to the shepherds, even Jesus, who is the most joyful person to ever live, on the planet, he wept, didn't he? He wept. He didn't run from suffering. He struggled in the darkness when his father didn't answer him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He suffered unjustly at the hands of those whom he created. See, Jesus shows us, and we'll get to this, that joy can be found in the struggle, in the desert, in disorientation, and certainly in the darkness. So the question I have, I don't know what your Advent season is like. I don't know what your life has been like since Thanksgiving now leading into Christmas. But I do know that statistics tell us that counselors' offices fill up during this time of the year. From November end of Thanksgiving all the way to the end of February, counselors all over this nation they have full schedules because they are inundated with people that are just, just feeling that, that sadness, the disappointment, the difficulties of what can be a difficult uh, emotional holiday season. And I don't know if that's you. Maybe that's not you. That's fine. But nonetheless, there's an invitation here to find joy. 
to find joy in the Savior. You see, how can we do that? How can we find joy in whatever darkness we may find ourselves, whether it be today or in this new year? Well, the first thing is we have to remember that joy is promised while we're in the dark. Joy is promised while you're in the dark. I don't know if you're in the dark right now, but I will assure you that this story reminds us that God is promising something greater than whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, and it's joy. It's not happiness. It is joy. If you revisit the text in verse 10, we find this, right? Um, the, 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 the Savior is now born in Bethlehem in this story, first part of chapter 2. And then in verse 10, right, this is what the angel is finding them in the darkness. They're on the, the hillside outside of, of Bethlehem. They're tending their sheep. And I don't know if you've ever been camping recently, but I did. We went camping. It was very dark. And if somebody turns a light on, you know it. It just lights up the sky. I mean, the, the people two or three campsites away, if they have a lantern, it's going gonna, it's gonna to also shine some light in your neck of the woods. That's what happens in the dark. And yet God promises something significant in that darkness. He says this in verse 10, The angel said to these shepherds, Fear not. Don't be afraid. Although you were, you were found with great fear in you, fear not, the angel says, for behold, look, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Good news of great joy. Um, when we went camping at, uh, at Enchanted Rock recently, uh, no one shone a light on our campsite. Matter of fact, my kids kept doing this. There was a squirrel that kept trying to take our neighbor's food, and they just seemed to not much care. But then the squirrel kept coming over into our campsite, and so my kids would just kind of shine a light, and I had like a torch light that they would just shine a light over into their, their campsite and go, I'm, this is Moses mainly going, hey, I'm just trying to help them. And I was like, no, 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 don't do that. Now you've got creepers looking at you. That's not okay. Put the, put the light down. And that, that's a little bit probably like what these shepherds probably felt like. And I just want you to, to just imagine yourself. There's no city lights on the outs, outskirts of Bethlehem. There's no city lights. There's nothing out there but stars. If you could just sit in the darkness, and now you're on edge because as a shepherd, one of the main things you're supposed to do at night is to do what? Is to keep watch. Keep watch over the enemies of your flock. Those are called wolves. And I don't know if you've ever like had to walk through your house after you've heard a bump in the night. But if my kid ever jumped out at me in that moment, I would flip my lid. Because you're already on edge. You're already thinking like what's about to get me. And then all of a sudden somebody gets you and your reaction is tenfold, is it not? I just want you to imagine being on edge with perhaps wolves around and the angels break in with the glory of God. This is like change your pants kind of fear, okay? I mean, they are sitting there, they're tending the sheep, and they are freaked out. It's no wonder that the angel's first words are, don't be afraid. I don't know what darkness you're in. Don't be afraid. See, the promise to the shepherds is one that we can all cling to. 
from on one difficulty to another. We can cling to this promise that God is calling us not to a life of fear, but a, a calm assurance, the joy, this proclamation of joy in the midst of darkness, this calm assurance of God's proven character and plan. God breaks in on this dark place, announces good news. That's the gospel. He announces good news of great joy, not good news of happy circumstances. See, if it was just a life that was safe and comfortable, he would have left Mary and Joseph to just go marry and have babies in their proper order. But he was not interested in keeping our happy and safe life. If it was just a happy and safe circumstances, he would have just left those shepherds on that hill and never broke in on them. But he breaks in on them with a proclamation and a promise of something far greater than just a good, happy, safe life. You see, this announcement, he says, is of great joy. The Greek word here is mega. I know. Mega joy. So what does that mean? It means a lot. It means mega not just a little joy, but mega joy found in Jesus himself. You see, this announcement of mega joy in this season, in any season, is a great challenge to us Christians. Um, it's been said that Christians are known for two things. Do you know what those two things are amongst the dying and lost world around us? Meeting together. Good job, guys. You've shown up. Meeting together and disagreeing. Oh, that's fun. Who's excited about that place, huh? Who wants to be called into the church, the bride of the living God, where we, we come together and we meet a lot and also disagree with whatever you're up to? That's, like, like it or not, that is a true reality that we have to push against as Christians. And so this proclamation of great joy is a challenge for us. Recently, we had someone in our home that, let's just say, lives an alternative lifestyle, and um, there was a bunch of people in, in our living room, and she was there, and so we asked her, I asked her this question in the midst of everything, and I said, hey, what kind of church, what kind of community would you want to be a part of? And she just looked, I think, at me and everyone else, and she goes, one where I can be accepted. And I found great comfort, number one, that she would be honest, but number two, uh, that we were all there, like, and, and no one's judging her. She's already finding that community in many ways of just a place to be accepted. And I think that's, it's, there's great comfort in that, but there's also a little bit like we need to hear that we have earned a reputation of meeting, of judgment, and of rejection. Why is that the one thing that she's concerned about? Are they going to accept me? Are they going to love me? Are they going to bring me close to Jesus? Are they going to push me away if they know my deepest, darkest sins? The church cannot be a place that simply meets, turns our back to another, agrees with all the things that we want to agree with, and yet rejects or judges or disagrees. That's our reputation, and I think there's announcement of great joy is a great challenge for us. But it's not just a challenge. It's also a great comfort. It's also a great comfort for all of us, right? 
Because we may be in the dark, on the hillside, just minding our own business like the shepherds were, or we may be in a dark place emotionally right now, disoriented, wondering what's next, what is it that God's going to do, no matter what it may be. Either way, and no matter why we're in the dark, and I think that's key, some of us may not find any joy in Jesus because we think that we deserve the darkness. But it does not matter. It matters not why you're there. What matters is God's promise in the darkness, that he does not leave you in the darkness. No, he comes to you, he reveals himself to you, and he proclaims something amazing. Something amazing found in verse 11. I want to just read this and then unpack it for just a moment. What is it that would be good news of great joy that will be for all the people? Verse 11, this is the source of our joy, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You see, it matters not that they would promise joy. What matters is that God is going to make good on that promise. That's what matters for us. You say that, like, saying joy, promising joy isn't enough. To have joy, we must see that God makes good on his promises. And so it's no wonder that the shepherds go and they got to see this promise of joy. But what is it that was said to these people, to these shepherds on the side of the hill that that would have compelled them to go to Bethlehem? Well, you can see God's generosity on display in this promise because he is lavishing his love by giving his son to sinners. This is the, 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 like the promise of this Messiah that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. His, God's generosity is on display. God's perfect plan is on display in this promise. Because on this day, he is born. Are you seeing this in the scripture? Unto you. It's a gift that he would give you. Born on this day. Now the promises of 800 years are finally coming true today. Where? In no other place than the place that David first set up his kingdom in Bethlehem, where the promised Messiah must come from. It's on this day. Can you imagine yourself? a shepherd on the side of the hill, and the the glories of heaven are opened up to you, and now you're the person that all this is being proclaimed to you? Imagine it. It, you, You must imagine it. It's you. You're the shepherd. You're the one on the hill that he's proclaimed to you that on this day, God is making good on every promise that he's ever made in Scripture. For all of those promises are finding their yes and amen in this born Savior. This Savior is declaring not just God's generosity, his perfect plan, but also his wisdom. Because this Savior is born in Bethlehem, just like Micah promised, which we talked about last week. His power is on display in this promise. Because it's not just any Savior, but the promised Christ, the Messiah, the wonderful Counselor, The Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. And if we were to go back and read Isaiah 9, verse 7, it says, And now the end of his reign, the end of his government, there will be no end. No kingdom on the earth has ever conquered the planet like Jesus is going to conquer the planet. With his kingdom of hope, peace, joy, and love, all things that we hone in on in this Advent season. 
That's first, right? How do we find joy in the dark? Remember that joy is promised while we're in the dark. But secondly, and this is where I hope really the heart of this message comes through, I pray that we would let the shepherds lead us. Pray we let, let these shepherds shepherd us, if we will, in some ways. Here's what I mean by that. The shepherds were included for one very important reason. You know that God could have done this a different way. He could have revealed himself to Caesar. He could have revealed himself to the aristocrats of the day, but he didn't. He went to the shepherds. And when he went to the shepherds, what he's really doing is including you. Because as far as I know, I don't think you come from a royal line um, unless someone here is like, you know, the Duke of something and I don't know about it or the Duchess of something and I don't know about it. It'd be amazing. That land just got paid for. We can't wait to welcome you in. Um, but nonetheless, like, like the, the shepherds being included means that you're included. The shepherds, if you don't know this, just a little history lesson, right? The shepherds were peasants. They were outcasts. They were unclean. They were outsiders, and they were on the level of a tax collector. They were on the bottom of the kind of the first central Israelite caste system, and therefore they were excluded from a lot of religious uh, rights that everyone else would have had. Why? Because the Pharisees were the gatekeepers. And they would have seen their lifestyle and said, you, you're, you're unclean. If you come into this space, you're going to mess everything up. That's why Jesus goes to them, cleanses them, and brings them in with this proclamation. You see, they would have regularly violated the Sabbath. I don't know if you know of any farmers, but they're kind of busy people. They, their work never ends. So they would have violated Sabbath on a regular basis. They probably didn't go to temple all that often because, you know, the unceasing needs of sheep. And therefore, they would have been not just rejected by the religious elite, but neglected by the religious elite. But God specifically decides to reveal himself to these shepherds because here's the deal, right? We're included. And these shepherds will lead us if we'll let them. What will they lead us into? First thing that they're going to lead us into is that will, they will, no matter what their false narratives were, they didn't let those false narratives define them. We all live in a story. The question is, what story are you living in? A lot of us have this story of whatever somebody labeled us as kids or whatever our boss tells us that we are, whatever our dad said or our mom said or society says, or the Lord help us what social media says we should be or aren't. There's a false, there's a competing, an unbelievable amount of competition to shape the story that you live in. Have you not noticed what the Instagram little thing is at the top? What are they called? Stories. How about Facebook? Also called stories. They're telling us stories, inviting us into their story, and therefore trying to define what our life should be, at, should be about. And yet Jesus enters this scene, revealing himself to shepherds on the side of a hill. And these shepherds, if we'll let them, will lead us into the true narrative that we're included into the best story that was ever written. The story of redemption, the story of, of God's promises being fulfilled. You see, what they did, they didn't say, I'm not worthy to receive this. They knew they weren't worthy to receive this. 
That's what makes them leave their sheep on the side of the hill and go to, into Bethlehem with haste. Like, they're not wasting a moment. They got to go see. They couldn't even, like Luke describes it as this thing. They go into Bethlehem to worship this king. And if the shepherds will lead us just for a moment, they'll lead us into this pathway of deeper joy because it will remind us that you play a significant role in the story of God. God never wastes his revelation. And if you know Jesus, you're included in this story. I don't know what you came in with, what story you may be living in lately, or what you want to live in in 22, but the greatest story you could ever live in, the greatest narrative that you could ever find your joy in is that the God of the universe has chosen you, brought you into his sheepfold, and now calls you his. He looks at you and says, that one is mine. You can't touch that one the enemy. You can't have that one. This one's in my flock, and as the good shepherd looking in the darkness, he defends us. No amens. What? Hey, thank you. My gosh. I mean, that is like, maybe I need to preach better. Maybe that's the problem. But truly, like God is, is inviting us into this reality, right, of that we are part of his flock where our lives shall never be the same. And he never wastes his revelation. And if you know him, you are a part of that flock. Let your joy overflow into hastily going to him and worshiping him. We just sang, oh, come, let us adore him. Truly, come, let us all adore the perfect person of peace and joy. That's the first thing that the shepherds will help us see. The second thing is that the shepherds left their livelihood on that hill to go into the city to see Jesus. Leaving their sheep would have exposed them to danger. Meaning they would have had to have trust God to take care of their only source of income. Their only source of their livelihood, of their security, of whatever it is that they were really tethered to but Jesus, they found something more worthy than all of that. In Jesus, they found something more worthy than the security and safety of their sheep on the side of the hill. And so I'm wondering if you'll let the shepherds shepherd you into a deeper joy by trusting these shepherds to lead you into a place of risk. I wonder what's holding you back for the hasty pursuit of Jesus. Some of us are tied to a salary. Some of us are tied to, um, like I know teachers like struggle with this on a regular basis. Counselors struggle with this on a regular basis. Many of you in the business world are going to struggle with this on a regular basis because you know if you open up your mouth about Jesus, you might lose that salary. You might lose uh, that safety and security. You might, if you stand on this gospel, this good news of great joy, you might lose some things, just like the shepherds did. But what was it that made them leave all of that? It was the surpassing worth of Jesus. They knew exactly who they were going to see. They had seen the angels. They had heard the proclamation. And so they went and they worshiped. And in verse 18, it says that everyone who heard the story of the shepherds marveled. They went and told their friends about Jesus. They marveled. And that astonishment 
That astonishment on the part of the shepherds led them to lead, leave everything for the sake of worship. So I would ask, what are you holding on to that is keeping you from this type of worship? What are you holding on to? What's rather probably got a hold on you, keeping you from this type of dedicated, sacrificial worship of the king? The third thing the shepherds are going to tell us, right, is that these shepherds didn't let the false narratives keep them from telling their story. No. Instead, they may not have had access to the higher-ups in society, but whoever they had access to, they told their story. Verse 17 and 18. Look at what it says. And when they saw this baby, verse 17, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. What saying? That unto you, verse 11. Born on this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Then that's the saying they kept making known again and again to whoever would listen to their story. You see, what we understand if we'll let these shepherds lead us a little bit is that mission is fundamental to the plan of God. We cannot, if we're going to follow Jesus, opt out of being a people that make disciples. And I know you hear me say this a lot, but it's all over the Bible. The shepherds go. What are they first thing that they do? They go tell other people what they just saw. They go tell other people of the hope that they found in this baby, of this wonderful counselor that's now been born. We want to know how we can help others. We invite them into this grand story of God, including people like the shepherd. That's number two. First, how can we find joy in the dark? May we remember that joy is promised while we're in the dark. He doesn't wait for you to get out of the dark on your own and then give you some things. He meets you where you are and promises joy. We can find hope and joy in the dark when we let these shepherds lead us as well. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, I don't know if I'm ready for that type of life. I don't know if I'm ready to just go proclaim this saying to my neighbors, to the networks, to the nation. I don't know if I've even made that journey out to Bethlehem. I don't even know if I'm even willing to risk my salary or the security that I find if I just go and worship a bit. I don't know if I'm ready for that. Well, okay. I would just say this as far as our last point together. How do we find joy in the dark? What if you just started with Mary? What if you started with Mary now? I'm a good Catholic boy at heart, and so I'm all of a sudden being like, oh, yeah, man, I'm going to bring it out right here. Just start with Mary, right? What did Mary do? So you're not a shepherd. So you, you don't identify with the lowly of society. What about this young teenage mom that now has an unplanned pregnancy, and now she has given birth to this wonderful counselor, this prince of peace, and she knows what's going on, but not really, right? She's still putting the pieces together. Is that you? Are you kind of still like in the beginning parts of your journey that no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus or known Jesus, there's still a little bit of you that's like, man, I gotta, I gotta know more. Start with where Mary starts. Ten months now have gone by since the angel has revealed his God's great plan to her saying, you will have a baby in Luke 1. And she receives that. She then goes through all sorts of disorientation, discomfort, darkness, I would say, when her betrothed Joseph wants to divorce her quietly. And God reveals himself to Joseph, and of course he stays. But nonetheless, could you imagine the story she's been telling for the last nine or ten months? Oh, no, no, we've never been together. 
oh, okay, well, you're kind of pregnant. No, 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 this, the Lord did this to me. Okay, all right, Mary. I don't know what you're doing in Nazareth, but whatever that is, I'm out. Like you can imagine that, that part of her story of feeling rejected along the way, and yet all of a sudden, what do we see in this story? Verse 19, what if we just started with what she did? The shepherds come and visit her. It's clear that they're worshiping this, this promised baby boy. And Mary, in verse 19, looking at all of this, but Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. You're not ready for mission. Or maybe you've gone on mission. Maybe you've risked some things. You've actually lost some things. Maybe you've lost some relationships as you've tried to share the gospel. Maybe it's just not born any fruit whatsoever. Maybe it's just come with a lot of hardship. Okay. Like, praise God for your efforts. Praise God for your attempts. Praise God for that risk that you've made. But remember, that verse 19 starts with a contrasting word, but... See, they all went and told everybody that they knew now the newborn King Jesus was here. But Mary, she's treasuring. She's pondering. And so maybe, maybe you need to start with her. That no matter where you are in this journey, perhaps you've gone out, failed, come back. Perhaps you've gone out, seen a lot of fruit, and now you're back again. But, but nonetheless, sit with the Savior, treasure, ponder. And so get in this, this posture, much like a mother with a newborn. Right? What's the first thing that they do when that baby comes out? They put the baby on the mom's chest. The dad just stands back, tries not to pass out, right? But it's where there's, with, the, with the mom, there's intimacy. There's bonding immediately. And if you can just see Mary in that moment, try to, bonding immediately with this baby boy. It's a great picture of what we all are invited into? Will we sit with this king who's yet a baby? Will we sit with this prince of peace in the midst of uncertainty? Will we sit and treasure and ponder all these things? The Old Testament doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Treasure it. Sit still with the Savior. Ponder it. I mean, my life is a mess well, don't keep going. Don't keep trying to just drown everything through achievement and through the consistent bad habits that got you into that place. No, no. Sit still with him. Treasure him. Ponder what it is that God's up to in this moment. And that's, again, the invitation of Advent, isn't it? That's why I feel confident in saying, like, for the, the majority of our church, you probably just need to take the 26th off to sit ponder, to treasure. Don't busy yourself up with other things. That's going to be the temptation. Go start taking stuff back that you didn't like on the 26th. The great deals are there. They'll be there on the 27th too. Ponder and treasure. See, that's what Mary was doing. She was putting together all these promises that all of a sudden were starting to come true in her life. Over these last 10 months, she's looking now and going, holy moly, this is all going to happen exactly as God said it was going to happen. That's the result of pondering. That's the result of treasuring Jesus over smooth circumstances instead of happiness, finding joy in a deep assurance of God's posture 
his character, and his plan. So how do we find joy in the dark? We remember God's posture towards sinners. We also look deeply into these characters of the Bible, the shepherds, and they're teaching us something. And I wonder if we'll, we'll let them shepherd us. And we start by treasuring and pondering. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, uh, whatever it is that you're inviting us into, we know that we will not see it. We will not find it. We will not experience it if we don't sit still with you first. And so like a newborn baby boy, sitting on the chest of his mother, I pray, Lord, that we would be in many ways, those newborns, finding our significance, our security, our identity in your story, finding our nourishment from you, finding our truest hope in your plan for the world, and we get invited into that. Lord, remind us of the true definition of joy this week. Remind us that In another couple of weeks, we're going to be given all kinds of stuff. And there's going to be fleeting moments of happiness. But that is not joy. Free us from the type of life that opens up gifts and just kind of forgets that it's really good. We just move on to playing with something else. Lord, free us from that kind of mindset of opening up the gift of your son and then just kind of forget about him because, you know, it was fun for a while, but I'm off to the next thing. Instead, invite us into a deeper story, a deeper current of joy that there is no lasting happiness, no lasting peace, no lasting joy at all, if not for being a people that are rooted in your perfect plan. So though our circumstances may be dark, disorienting, perhaps depressing, though many of us in this room and outside of this room are just tired of being tired, you haven't given up on us, and I pray, Lord, that we would not give up on you. So, Lord, help us. Help us continue in the faith. Help us to continue to knock on the door so that you may answer us in due time. And in the dark seasons, Lord, help us rejoice as we long for your coming. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.